Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Kaz. And I'm Michael Coplow. Whoa, Michael, you're here! Michael, you usually wait until the middle of a podcast to join. And we're recording at the beginning of the podcast, too, so we've worked out both of the kinks in our previous Michael Coplow podcast. It's amazing. It's like it's my birthday or something. All you could have hoped for. Well, it's not, it's not your birthday. I mean, it's my birthday is coming up, but we don't need to get into You thought the most dramatic news of this podcast was going to be that Michael joined at the beginning and that we were recording from the beginning. But in fact, something potentially more consequential happened yesterday when Mahmoud Abbas, speaking as president of the Palestinian Authority and as chairman of the PLO, announced that the PLO was no longer going to be bound by its agreements with Israel and with the United States, meaning the Oslo Accords, and that it was going to end all the relevant agreements, including with security cooperation, and Israel as the occupying power would have to assume all of its own relevant legal responsibilities. This sounds a little familiar, though, right? Yeah, it certainly sounds familiar. We've heard this from Abbas before. He tends to threaten security cooperation quite often, actually, and uh, the the Fatah Central Committee has approved the end of security cooperation numerous times. The question is whether whether this time is going to be different, but certainly in terms of what he said, um, there's nothing unprecedented in in this new announcement. Uh, It's really going to be about whether there is follow through. Now, Michael, what has happened in the past when these announcements have been made? Has there been any change on the ground per se? I mean, I've heard that the cooperation continues, but in an unofficial way. So it just, it seems like pretty much business as usual. There are definitely times in the past where Abbas has announced the cessation of security coordination with Israel, and it stops at the highest, most visible levels, but it continues down at the, the commander level um, and at the officer level and obviously uh, on the ground. So when he says that he's ending security coordination, it can, of course, mean different things. There, there, he, he, at times, he gives himself some sort of plausible deniability by ending just one very formal level but maintaining it. But he certainly has never gone through with seizing it entirely. And even at times where he has claimed in the past to have seized it entirely, he hasn't. Again, that does not mean that it's impossible that he'll cut it off. But given the benefits to the Palestinian Authority of Security Coordination, and given just how much Abbas himself is tied to the PA, I'm generally skeptical that this time is going to be different and that he is going to cut off all security security coordination entirely. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you guys think. Before we get into that, though, I also think it might be worthwhile for our listeners to clarify what we're talking about with security coordination, because I think sometimes when people throw that term around, they might be imagining something like Israeli soldiers and Palestinian security personnel marching around side by side, which is something that was done very early on in the Oslo process in the 90s in the Gaza Strip, but isn't really the substance of what security coordination means today in the West Bank. Right. It's not that the the two are serving side by side, as you say. It's a combination of Israel passing on intelligence to PA security forces that they can act upon, since both sides have a very clear interest in limiting Hamas's 
activity and even presence inside of the West Bank. And uh, it also does involve a, a sort of joint operations planning facility, for, for lack of a better term, where the two sides actually do sit uh, in the same room across from each other and analyze intelligence uh, and operations simultaneously. But there is no situation in which the IDF and Palestinian Authority security forces are serving together on the same tactical team and, and carrying out operations jointly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it also it limits the IDF need to go into Palestinian cities in Area A and to go into a lot of uncomfortable situations. I mean, we saw an Israeli soldier die last week in a, a, an evening raid. But I mean, because of the security cooperation, Israel does not need to do that as often. It's a big benefit to the IDF and to Israel's security in general to have that security coordination working and working efficiently. And so Abbas said that this move or this announcement, let's just call it an announcement until we see what actually happens, was in response to the Israeli government push for annexation. Netanyahu mentioned in his speech, the commencing of the new government, that he would move forward and this government would move forward in annexing parts of the West Bank. So by the looks of that, this seems on paper like it's just another Abbas threat. Do we think it will actually take the act of annexation for security coordination to really be affected in a way where it causes uproar and we can see increased violence and we can see the real effect of it? Or is there a chance that Abbas is more serious? I mean, the context of annexation is really important here, though before we get into that, I do want to clarify the night raids in Area A of the West Bank are a fairly frequent occurrence. More, more, more than daily, depending on what's going on, the IDF does somewhere between 30 and 50 nighttime raids into Area A every week. So they're, they're going on every day. I, I think in that scenario, the question of coordination isn't as much about getting rid of the necessity for Israel to do it. It's more that before Israel goes into Area A, they notify the PA security forces so that they will stand down and there won't be a confrontation between the IDF and PA security. Right. But what you have in the coordination, that more relieves Israel from carrying out some of the more mundane policing functions that it carried out between 1967 and the 1990s. But on the context of annexation, because you raised that point, Eli, and I think it's important to address here, Abbas seems to make these statements when the Palestinians feel under pressure or there's a threat that they could be isolated or in some way left behind by the international process. I mean, if you look at some of the previous times that Abbas has not threatened to leave the Oslo Accords and threatened to leave behind its arrangements with the United States and Israel, but times when he's actually said the Palestinians are leaving these agreements, uh, you have, for example, last year, after Israel demolished buildings in uh, Wadi Humus, which is an area of Area A that lies on the Israeli side of the Israel-West Bank barrier. So that was something that was kind of a public humiliation of the Palestinian Authority and a pretty public infringement upon its sovereignty. Um, after the end of the John Kerry-led initiative for Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. So it's almost like a cry for help, I think, to actors in the international community that the Palestinians think could come to assist them. Um, so if there's some air of finality to what Abbas is saying, I think it's because annexation 
from the Palestinian Authority and the PLO's perspective would be the last nail in the coffin or one of the last nails in terms of the PLO and the PA's mode of resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which for the past 30 years has been to pursue an independent Palestinian state as opposed to some kind of rights-based campaign where the Palestinians seek citizenship inside of Israel or one democratic state. Yeah, that's right. I'll also add that I think Abbas is considering his internal politics and his popularity within the West Bank and among Palestinians in general. He's not very popular because of his cooperation with Israel for a large part. So this is one of his only ways of saying, hey, I'm not cooperating with Israel, but nothing really on the ground changing. And we've seen a slight increase in his popularity with his opposition to the Trump plan. And so this is another way of of cementing that, I think. And it's important to note that security coordination isn't an on and on off switch. Abbas can limit it in some areas, but continue it in others. He can also end security coordination, but keep the, the Tanzim, which is Fatah's militia, off the streets. There, there are different levels that he can pursue here. And so I think that even if annexation takes place, and that is some sort of precipitating event that does indeed transform security coordination, it doesn't have to be, and probably won't be, an all or nothing proposition from the outset. Right. I also think that the Palestinians want to wait before they fully leverage what for them is almost a kind of nuclear option before they see how the rest of the world reacts to annexation. Because while Israel and to a lesser extent the United States under the Trump administration may be on the outs with Europe and with the Arab states, because of annexation, the Palestinians don't want to then put themselves in a position where they're also the subject of widespread international criticism. And, uh, you know, the, the international community could end up approaching this with sort of a both sides perspective, saying that, okay, Israel violated its obligations by annexing parts of the territories, but the Palestinians are now stepping back from coordination with Israel and from their agreements with Israel and with the United States. So they probably want to wait to see, for example, how Europe reacts to this, wait and see the outcome to the American presidential election. I don't want to suggest that either of those is an end-all and be-all for this situation or that just because France or Germany does something or if Joe Biden is elected that there's going to be a two-state solution and annexation won't happen but it will certainly stabilize the situation for the Palestinians a little, and they probably don't want to expend international goodwill that could be coming their way by doing something that would be perceived as rash, but this may be their way of raising the alarm to the Democrats, to the European countries, and saying, like, hey, we're still here. Pay attention to us. We need your help. So we'll just have to watch and see what happens next. Obviously, there are some processes underway that are going to take a while to resolve, and we're watching them. The Palestinian leadership is probably watching. But if you want an opportunity to hear what the Palestinian leadership itself is saying, I encourage you to tune in to our next Annexation Watch video briefing that's going to be on this upcoming Tuesday, May 26th, at the usual time, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And we are going to be hosting PLO Ambassador to the United Kingdom, Hussam Zamlat, who was previously the head of the PLO mission in Washington, D.C., 
and you can register for that program at ipf.li forward slash May 26. That's the numbers 26. And for our young professionals in the audience, if you are following the Israeli television series Fauda, which by the way, we were talking about Israeli-Palestinian security coordination. I should mention Eli was a participant in Israeli-Palestinian security coordination as an extra on Fauda. So maybe you saw him there on your TV. Yes, I was an IDF officer. And actually, I, I took a lovely picture with the Palestinian security guards, also actors, of course, but it was just a, a true show of security cooperation on set. The photo of Eli and his fictional Palestinian security colleague shaking hands is right up there with the picture of Rabin and Arafat on the White House lawn on the iconic images of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the prospects for coordination. So if you saw Eli on Fauda and you were inspired to learn more about what is actually going on on the ground and the implications of what is being portrayed in this fictional television series, then I encourage you, if you're a young professional, to join our IPFAT Young Professionals Network for part three of their Fauda Roundtable featuring Tanya Hari, who is the executive director of Gisha, also a previous guest on this podcast. And that program is going to be on Wednesday, May 27th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. They're going to be discussing freedom of movement, electricity, and humanitarian efforts in Gaza. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Israel Policy Pod. Be well, be healthy, and we'll catch you next time. Music